Hello, and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 258. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing the 11th Star Trek feature film, simply titled Star Trek. Here we go. Star Trek, release date, May 8, 2009. Directed by J.J. Abrams. Produced by J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof. Written by Roberto Orchi and Alex Kurtzman. Music by Michael Giacchino. Cast includes Chris Pine as James T. Kirk. Zachary Quinto as Spock. Leonard Nimoy as Spock Prime. Carl Urban as Dr. Leonard McCoy. Zoe Saldana as Nyota Uhura. Simon Pegg as Montgomery Scott. John Cho as Ukaro Sulu. Anton Yelchin as Pavel Chekhov. Eric Bana as Captain Nero, Bruce Greenwood as Christopher Pike, Ben Cross as Sarek, Winona Ryder as Amanda Grayson, and Chris Hemsworth as George Kirk. In the 23rd century, the Federation starship USS Kelvin is investigating a lightning storm in space. A Romulan ship emerges from the storm and attacks the Kelvin. The Romulan's first officer demands the Kelvin's captain, Rabu, come aboard to, to negotiate a truce. Rabu is questioned about the current star date and an ambassador, Spock, whom he does not recognize. The Romulan's commander, Nero, kills him and resumes attacking the Kelvin. George Kirk, Kelvin's first officer, orders the ship's personnel, including his pregnant wife, Winota, to abandon ship while he pilots the Kelvin on a collision course. Kirk sacrifices his life to ensure Winona's survival as she gives birth to James T. Kirk. Seventeen years later, on the planet Vulcan, a young Spock is accepted to join the Vulcan Science Academy. Realizing the, that the Academy views his human mother, Amanda, as a disadvantage, he joins Starfleet instead. On Earth, Kirk becomes a reckless but intelligent young adult. Follow, following a bar fight with Starfleet cadets accompanying Yohora, Kirk meets Captain Christopher Pike, who encourages him to enlist in Starfleet Academy, where Kirk meets and befriends Dr. Leonard McCoy. He said he wanted me to see something, the destruction of my home planet. How the hell did they do that, by the way? And where did the Romulans get that kind of weaponry? The engineering comprehension necessary to artificially create a black hole may suggest an answer. Such technology could theoretically be manipulated to create a tunnel through space-time. Damn it, man, I'm a doctor, not a physicist. Are you actually suggesting they're from the future? If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Star Trek. Steve, kick us off on Star Trek 2009. So yeah, this is, this is a really good movie. Um, Brian, you know our kind of history on this one. We talked a lot immediately following. Of course, the premise was that they were going to find, they found a creative way to kind of reset the timeline by creating an alternate timeline so they wouldn't have to adhere to canon, but not knowing to what extent they were going to do it, or I don't know, going in, it would, it created a lot of anxiety for me, this movie, when it, you know, the first few viewings before I had it finally sit into my head as to what was going on and accepting it. Well, be specific, you know, the, the anxiety was because this feeling that, yes, like for me, knowing the reasons and the way in which I love Star Trek, feeling that it's this real universe, believing in it and all these things and, and, and following the journeys and all that stuff. And we had a, a, a sense for a time because of this movie that they were just going to wipe all of that out. And like none of it ever happened. And 700 plus episodes never happened. And it's, mm-hmm. they, they tried to make us feel better at the time. I remember the writers talking about it, especially Ortsy, you know, this is an alternate timeline. And we do have that one scene in the movie where Spock explains that, but I'll be honest. I never really felt okay Really, until not even Star Trek Discovery, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Picard and maybe even a little bit Lower Decks. I'm like, okay, 
Right. So right. anyway, I'm because sorry. It, okay, so go ahead. No, I agree. I agree. I agree. And uh, we had conversations about it. And uh, uh, because, yeah, it was like they might have found a way to do it without really you know, breaking canon or tearing it up or whatever, but at the very least, it was because ignored, I spent the entire you know? movie just waiting. Well, at some point, they're going to reset the timeline, and Vulcan's going to be <laughs> yeah. back. I just I didn't uh-huh. know at the time that that's that that, that wasn't going to happen, and I and I, even like even after the cre- the credits, I'm like they haven't, but they haven't, but Vulcan's <laughs> right. still, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so what the funny part is is because. I don't know if you'd have known going in exactly the intent and that it was always, I mean, that, I mean, in a way that ruins it too. Right. But you know, knowing now what we know then that this was a, probably a three movie, you know, block that's standalone and it has no effect on anything else. And there's going to be more Trek in that same universe. And, and in a way, I mean, you know, you would have taken that away and made you just appreciate it for what it is. And that's, it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's an action adventure, well-paced, you know, enjoyable film, I think. Um, but not knowing that going in, yeah, I was, I was, uh, that's what I was focusing on, unfortunately, you know, but well, now me, can um, it, yeah, will you ahead, remember what, if I tell one quick story? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. That, I'm reminded too. So I saw like a week before this movie came out, I went to a, uh, I think it was a writer's guild thing or something, but um, Ron Moore was there to talk about, Battlestar. Maybe it was the end of Battlestar. I forget, but he was there talking about Battlestar. And the very last question of the night, somebody said, I got to ask, have you seen the new Star Trek movie? And what did you think? And he said, yes, I have seen it. I think it's great. But I think for Star Trek fans, it's going to be, I think the word he used was like controversial, or he said something like that, shocking, controversial. It was something to that effect. And I remember thinking, what could they possibly do that would be so controversial? <laughs> right. it, it's not, he's, I mean, maybe the other people, but whatever he's talking about, it's not going to affect me that way. And then I saw the movie and then I knew exactly what he was talking about. One, and I was definitely affected that way too. And three, I've always remembered it because God, Ron Moore is one of us. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he really is. I mean, you know, when I saw Nick Meyer, I don't know, months later and got his autograph on, on something and somebody asked him about the star trek movie and i remember this was like a really small group for some reason i was i saw it and there was only like 15 or 20 of us sitting there listening to him talk and somebody asked him his opinion on the star trek movie and he said well i thought it was very exciting but it didn't really mean any amount to much it didn't really have anything to say you know so it was a little empty for me and then somebody said well how did you feel about it about it messing with the the timeline and you know the canon and saying that your movie never had your movies never happened and nick meyer one of the smartest freaking guys i've ever seen in my life said oh i didn't get that i didn't see that <laughs> you know so it was just like yes ron moore is one of us <laughs> you know <laughs> anyway uh okay go, go ahead no but kind of going off that theme too is you know it also kind of brings home the notion that because this movie did well too and a lot of people liked it because you you could enjoy it and 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 credit to them because they created something that you found a way to do something like this that was all new and different and still not tear up everything before and you know the standard action adventure movie fans would, would like and so on but you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it, I totally lost my train of thought, <laughs> but no, it's, it, it was, uh, it was, it was interesting because it had all those elements. It had a lot to say, but like I said before, I got kind of caught up in, in the, uh, in, in what it was doing. And I, oh, I, I know what I was going to 
go from there was that the uh, th- that kind of notion that you always know in the back of your head that like you're in such a minority in terms of how much you get all of the connections, like what the story you just told about Nick Meyer, that kind of idea that, you know, to us, it's like no brainer to speak of how timelines are affected and what universe you're in and blah, 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 and all this stuff, you know, but most people, it's like, it has nothing to do with anything, you know? And, and like, it means so, and I don't know what that really says, but it, it like you alluded to, it, it's, it's so much of what it means to be a, a, a Trekker, a huge Trek fan of the whole franchise and how it all connects. That's just part of the appreciation for it. And that's, that's, what's tricky is how to keep it always fresh and so on. But anyway, this is, it's an, this is an interesting, uh, well done film. Can that's I ask kind of you? a unique thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I didn't even think to talk about this. I didn't even take notes about this. And I watched the movie this morning in my uh, theater and I was so engaged in it, and I, I was enjoying it so much. And it, I realize now that might have been the first time I've ever watched the movie and not thought about these timeliney issues, ever. Yeah. So I'm. It's, so that's really great. I'm glad I'm able to just sit back and enjoy it in that way. And so it has it has it. I mean, I assume it's gotten better for you, but it's still it, you still brought it up first thing. So. Well, I, I brought it up, but it, it, it is not the the emotion, the uh, anxiety is no longer there. It's more of a recollection of those things. That's what it meant to me at the time. But yeah, now I just appreciate it for what it is. And, and yeah, I agree. I don't think I've seen it. Well, certainly not since, um, you know, the modern day treks on uh, on CBS access and all that. And so when you feel that grounded in that this was you know, these movies are an interesting anomaly, they're set in the universe, it's you know all that kind of thing. Uh yeah, I, I think it's it's better because you can appreciate it just for enjoying a, a good movie and where it stands with things and not worry about the integrity of the universe you're that you love. So, yeah. But you feel it's a good movie. I do. Yeah. Adam, your your thoughts here? Yeah, I definitely agree with both of both of you guys' points. I'm myself going into this. I was at the because at the time I was still on Team JJ, so I was excited about JJ um, taking over the helm. I don't remember having too much apprehension about you know before the movie and them messing with the timeline because I think at the time I thought JJ had a plan long term because if you because the way I kind of thought about it going into the movie is like okay if you're going to do something like this then you kind of you you must have like a long term plan of. of what kind of story you're going to try and tell. And I kind of assumed that was going to happen over, you know, three movies, but um, <laughs> maybe we get into this later in the, in the episode about where things went. So going into this movie, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, the opening sequence is great. Um, you know, Kirk's birth, um, you know, his father sacrificing himself. Um, the, the scene is, is really gorgeous. And you get the, the nice, you know, contrast music underneath all that battle scene stuff so the opening of the movie in it it's it, it looks gorgeous it's emotional and it, it, it immediately pulls you into the movie yeah so, I, mean, I think the opening I, I think it's pretty spectacular i gotta say i think it packs an emotional wallop uh it did the first time i ever saw it and it still is just as good it's so good i'm not sure they i'm not sure they really top the opening anywhere else in the movie which is crazy considering none of those characters are in the rest of the movie but it's just Um, that good it's it's that dang good you know and i i I remember at the time the movie came out one of the reasons this movie is i think still the most successful star trek movie by a long shot uh and it was just in the pop it was in like uh pop culture it was in the zeitgeist in a way that that no star trek movie has it because it it's that holy grail it pulled in you know non-star trek people 
there were non-Star Trek people, like in the office kind of stuff that would came up to me and were talking about like the opening scene and things. It's like, wow, I can't, I can't believe you even saw the movie. <laughs> but, you know, you, you wanted to talk about it. It's like, that's, yeah, pretty spectacular. I mean, you know, and, um, you know, maybe JJ knew at the time, but, you know, they lucked out with um, Chris Hemsworth, obviously going on to play Thor. So that actually makes the movie hold its value because when you watch that scene, you, oh, that's Chris Hemsworth, you know, and um, I, the one thing that I, you know, and I'm getting into, into the one thing that I was a little apprehensive about was the casting. Obviously, you know, the three of us grew up with, you know, the original cast and, you know, we, we love every single one of them like our family. So um, I think it was just kind of only natural for me to be um, apprehensive going in like this casting. How's it going to work? How's um, Chris Pine? You know, he was kind I knew who he was, but he was kind of an unknown at the time. He'd done a few little things. So um, Zachary Quentin, you didn't really know who any of these people were, how they were going to play the parts, how they were going to gel together. But, I mean, you know, if nothing else, uh, I give J.J. Um, a lot of credit for the casting of, you know, of, of this new crew um, and how well they did because, you know, you feel it from them kind of very early on the movie that they gel together. Um, you know, Kirk and Ahura and the bar, you know, there's a chemistry there. It's not like an attraction chemistry. It's like you, you feel like they have something there. You get bones introduced and even with um kirk and spock even though they vehemently kind of hate each other at first you know there's a fine you know what they say is there's a fine line between love and hate and that all that that bonding happens really early in the movie and it helps you on that ride especially as long time as long time fan as you're if you're comfortable with the recasting the way the characters are being portrayed it's just like seamlessly going through the movie i mean you know and real quickly you know the movie has a lot you know we talked about the opening emotional scene Obviously, there's. Um... Well, hang on. Let's talk about the casting for a second. Okay. So yeah, I, th- I think um, all the casting holds up pretty darn well, and that was so important to not only this movie but you know making the sequels and stuff work. I think Zach Quinto in particular, awesome. Definitely Carl Urban. He might be the the best in the in the movies for me. He does such a such a cool thing where he's he's pretty darn close to d kelly but but still different enough he's really great yeah zoe saldana she's she's great she really is great i think over the years maybe oh yeah anton yelkin also great maybe just a just a smidge like john cho and chris pine have they're just the tiniest bit not quite as shiny as i once thought they were um, but Simon? they're still still pretty darn good. Simon's good too. I like Scotty. Right. Yes. Thank you. Forgot about him. Um, he's he's yeah. No, he's fantastic. He's uh, comic relief. And uh, so they they did something different with his character than what we what we used to get for Scotty. But he's great. Yeah, you know, no, he's then, really you know great. even going down the you know Bruce Greenwood, uh, he did a good job. Absolutely. As, as, as he's Pike. fantastic. Um, um. Yeah. So like I said, I give a lot of you know it's you know. For some reason, you know, for some reason, JJ is really good at casting. You know, as 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 much as the Star Wars movies had problems, I, I, I enjoyed the casting in those movies as well. But you know, that's a whole nother genre, a whole nother franchise. But um, if nothing else that comes out of these Trek films, that that you still have a, I, I still, you know, you st- I still love Chris Pine and and all these guys just as not just as much, but I mean, you know, they hold they hold their weight with the original crew. And um, well, so going in there, you know, there's a lot of emotional ups and downs in this movie. You know, you get into um, Vulcan being destroyed, which 
you kind of alluded to earlier, Brian. You know, it's an emotional scene. You get it. You get Spock, um, Leonard Nimoy coming back with Kirk. That's a lot of. That's I don't know. If fun's the right word. It's it's interesting and um, and engaging. You know, um, um, seeing the older Spock and all the things that he's gone through the whole all these years that we've seen him. Um, you know conveying these things to a young Kirk. So it's a, it was, it's fat. It was a fascinating, fascinating, you know, relationship there. And, you know, and then it's a fun ride throughout the rest of the movie, you know, what Steven mentioned to it. And it's a fun movie. It looks great. It sounds great. The soundtrack's good. It's um, yeah, it's, it was really, it was a really good first step um, for the reboot. And it was a really good movie for JJ and everybody who put this, put this one together. Looks and sounds spectacular. Side note. Watching the 4K blue, I'm sure it's it's an, uh, an upconvert from a 2K DI, but you know, still looked awesome, uh, way better than the Blu-ray or any streaming. And the uh, the P3 color was outstanding, and the the, the Atmos sound was fantastic. So it's nice for the first time in all these <laughs> these months of talking about the Star Trek movies. It's nice to say looked and sounded great. <laughs> I'm you know I can't imagine it looked and sounded better you know anywhere ever how do we all watch it 4k blue yeah um i did not i just i just streamed it i didn't watch it on 4k yeah i watched it yeah 4k blue actually i think it's the first time i've seen it in 4k blue i mean because i don't think i watched the whole movie since i got that so yeah oh yeah yeah cool oh one more thing you know the enterprise looked good they just they modified it just enough to kind of make it look kind of modern and and cool but but that's kind of I think that's something they did really nice. The the I, I like the Enterprise design, but it's consistent like with everything else. Everything else just has this like modern tinge to it. Even even when they keep it simple, something like the uniforms, which are much simpler than the old uniforms. But I mean, it's almost like you're just wearing a shirt, like a regular old you know t-shirt or something. But it's still modern. You know, I I think that the the design in this movie is is fantastic. I think that all the design, even in that, translates also not just to sets and and costumes and things, but the all the special effects stuff. Uh, it's there's a very there's a consistency to it. The lens flares help. <laughs> we, yeah, maybe we all think maybe maybe there's one too many lens flares, but it definitely gave the movie a visual style and and immediately. So so I yeah I, I like the look of this movie and. Other movies have taken it and refined it and stuff, but I think they did a really great job with uh, with the music scene. Where did we see JJ? There was a bunch of lens flares and what, what was that movie? Eight millimeter that he did. It's kind of that. Um, Steven uh, uh, you mean Super Eight? Super Eight. That's right. Eight millimeters. I thought Super Eight was after this. Was it after? I thought it was before. You might be right, but I, sure? remember lens, I remember lens flares in that one. Pretty sure it's after. So you know, Leonard Nimoy as Spock, his inclusion in this too. I mean, and and really, the presence is there in all three of the films. Even if in the third, it's basically acknowledging his passing. To me, that was so important to ground it as a Trek, a Trek fan too, because even if you, especially in the days when we didn't have other things in the Prime Universe like we do now it grounded it in that because at least it was always Spock's story coming back to that notion of maybe Trek is kind of always about Spock, you know, and in a way it's always his story. It tells, you know, basically um, he lives out his life, the Spock we know and love in this universe, in this series. And to me, that's, that's significant too. Well, I I remember being at the Comic-Con panel. They had everybody cast except Chris Pine. 
And I remember being at the Comic-Con panel, JJ, JJ was there, and they brought out all the cast, except Nimoy. Then they brought out Nimoy. And I don't think we knew, did I even know he was in the movie at that point? I'm not sure. I can't remember. I just remember being so excited to see him and knowing how he is or was with Star Trek. I knew that he would not have been in this thing uh, unless it was worthwhile, uh, unless he felt that it was really meaningful to the character and he could bring something, you know, it was going to bring something to the character. His presence kind of legitimized it for me and I'm and I have a feeling it did so for a lot of other Star Trek fans because I was skeptical and I was a JJ fan but I was still I mean I was I was excited for there to be any Star Trek at that time but I was I was skeptical and once I knew he was in then I was on board and I was on board and, and excited yeah and still watching it you know today I mean that moment when he says live long and prosper right before Kirk and Scotty do their transport beaming thing. I mean, it's it it's emotional every time I see it. I remember one of the trailers, one of the not the teaser. I don't know if you guys remember that this movie had an awesome teaser where they shot stuff just for the teaser to make it look like they were you know constructing the Enterprise. That was amazing. But you know when they actually did like the first real trailer that came out, and fans were disappointed that Nimoy wasn't anywhere in the trailer, and then they just they just went in the next day to the edit bay and and cut in a, a couple shots and included that shot of him saying "Live long and prosper," uh, and just put it online just for the fans. <laughs> like this is such a cool time to be a movie fan because we can, you know, stuff like that can happen, uh, which obviously wasn't going to happen thirty years ago or whatever, but. Yeah, it's just it's so it's so heartwarming to see him every single time. So the scene with him and Quentin at the end is great. I'm glad they did. I'm glad they did have a scene between Quinto. The two. Yeah, Quinto at the end there. You know, I am not our father. <laughs> That's a great. I, line. I love that scene. My yeah. only complaint is that it's so obviously ADR. The whole thing they had to loop it. Maybe uh, there's a lot of like smoke or something in the scene. So maybe there was the machines were too loud. But it it's such an emotional scene, and I can just tell that it's looped, and it, it does it is kind of a bummer every time I see it. Like I, I I know it would it would work better if I was really hearing Nimoy that day, and not Nimoy three months later or whatever it was. But that's a minor complaint, I know. So a little thing that I kind of you know they brought a lot of modern touch. You were talking about the set design and all the modern touches, but they brought like little things in there culturally. You know, we got to hear the Beastie Beastie Boys in this movie. Um, you know, there's Bud Light in this movie. Um, you know, there's a little bit more of Earth on this. You know, we get to see the plains of Iowa and, and that kind of thing. So those were those were the kind of things I also little things that I enjoyed about this film. The movie moves so fast. I kind of feel like it doesn't stop until after Vulcan is destroyed, and even then, it just slows down for like two minutes, and then it picks right back up again. It moves so fast that. It you know it covers up a lot of the little plot holes and things, you know, but it's still good enough that it, that it works in a way that maybe something like Star Wars Episode Nine moves really really fast. And while you're watching it, you're like, well, this doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> I never think that when I'm watching this movie. The only maybe maybe just a smidge, like when he's when they first drop him on Delta Vega and he gets out of that little capsule, I'm like, well, this this was a real this was a little bit too fast that they stuck him here and 
I don't know. It's the first time where maybe just for a second. So it's not fair to say I never think that. But it's brief because the movie moves so fast. I almost never think about transwarp beaming kind of breaks Star Trek. Or shouldn't it take more than like five minutes to travel from Earth to Vulcan? Or all the different time travel paradoxy things that could, you know, just lots of stuff like that. But I, for the most part, I mean, I just think that the movie is good enough that it brute force beats those things i think so so on that scene where kurt gets thrown out you know when when spock um you know jettisons him off the ship i i think i initially thought that was kind of too far but watching it over again and i was thinking i thought about that going into this one you know do you think that was that wasn't in character for say william shatner's kurt but was it in character for this one just because they did enough setup for his childhood you know he looked you know obviously he grew up with a they kind of imply that he had a not so nice stepfather and he kind of had some anger issues. So what do you, you know, cause you mentioned that and I made me think of it, you know, him, him kind of just kind of losing it there on Spock and getting jettisoned off the ship. Was that too far? Or did that work for you? Or is it just, well, we, we don't know that he was going to like physically fight Spock. Maybe he was just trying to get free from those security people physically. And it kind of turned that way quickly, you know, just so that he could plead with Spock some more. Who knows? So I never felt like that, but him saying, get him off the ships, like, well, where did that come from? Why wouldn't you, I don't know, if you thought he was being mutinous, but put him in the brig or something. Um, And then the fact that if they are going to kick him off, they they put him in a pod that lands him like miles away from the Starfleet place. And I mean, that, that kind of stuff doesn't make a great deal of sense, but um, oh, I know one of the other things that, again, that, that for the most part, you don't think about it because the movie moves so fast. But I think Nero's entire motivation is a little bit weak. It doesn't really make sense. It only makes sense to me if if he felt like Spock was responsible for the destruction of Romulus, uh, or if somehow destroying Vulcan is going to save Romulus but none he's very clear we're going to we're going to wait for the one that allowed our homeworld to be destroyed those are his words that seems like a very weak uh justification for um genocide well there's a there's a little you know there's the graphic novel that kind of helps fill that in and is aren't there some deleted scenes in this movie where you know you get to see him spending 25 years in a Klingon prison camp yeah so, so but i don't see how things- that changes the motivation well, I might have hearted him in the more in the future, you know, spending that much time in a Klingon prison camp might change him because if it's been a while since I've read that graphic novel, but I mean, he was kind of a normal person to begin of, to begin off in the in the graphic novel. My, yeah, which right? also makes it that much harder to believe that he's going to go uh, okay, from there to I'm going to destroy this entire planet and presumably billions of people. But he was going to destroy all the Federation. Planet. Oh, right, right. He was he was going to uh, destroy Earth. But again, I, I, I'm not real conscious of this when I'm watching it because it moves so fast. And even watching it multiple times, it's not like this comes to light even more because it moves so dang fast. The whole movie just moves so incredibly fast. Um, for the most part, I think the movie does. At the end of the day, the thing the movie does so well, it, the, the writing is so great. And all these little bitty Star Trek nods are constantly there. And they're so effective and simple. That's what I think is was is so fantastic uh, about this movie. 
And then it really helps that you've got a director who's, I mean, JJ was probably at the height of his powers here. Cause this is right after he leaves TV He's done at least one movie. I know he did Mission Impossible, direct, directing-wise. I know he directed Mission Impossible 3 before this. And he's going to go and, and well, he's going to do another Star Trek movie, do Super 8, and then Star Wars. Super 8 might have been between the Star Trek movies. Anyway, I feel like this was probably the height of his feature stuff to me because I, I think he really defined this movie as an auteur in a way that not, not isn't quite as true, say, with Force Awakens or something. And then you, Michael Giacchino's score we haven't talked about, but it's 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 outstanding. That opening is, like we said, is is is, is so great and so emotional. I think that the movie, yeah, you know, when I talk about how, like how good the script is and how start how in tune with Star Trek it is, think about the stuff that you probably take for granted watching it now. But what a great job it does with getting at you know those the core internal issues of both Kirk and Spock immediately. Uh, you know, Spock's internal half-human, half-Vulcan conflict and all that. It has a slightly new take on it, but it's there. And it's entirely like the core of the movie and their relationship and their dynamic. It's like the people who made the movie got Star Trek in a way that I'm not accustomed to seeing non-Star Trek people get Star Trek. And as opposed to, you know, J.J. has said, uh, hey, I was a Star Trek, uh, Star Wars guy when I came to this movie. But you know what he did? He watched Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. He he watched Star- some Star Trek, and he also had Star Trek people explain Star Trek to him. Yeah. And then he, say, and he said, and I started to get it. I started to get that triumphant relationship, and especially Kirk and Spock. I started to see that, you know, as opposed to, say, our podcast – from two weeks ago when we were talking about Stuart Baird who did not watch Star Trek and did a Star Trek movie. Yeah. yeah it helps it, to know Star Trek. I'll give JJ credit. He made it he made it an original story movie here. I think, you know, um, you know, if you want to compare this movie to Force Awakens, I think generally most people, or at least I feel, Force Awakens is kind of a a remake of New Hope almost. Um so this is this is an original take. It's kinda, you know, like, you know, they did some controversial stuff, new timeline. Um Obviously, yeah, it's 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 it's, a, it's an original take, so that's where I give him credit on on this film. But what I'm saying, I love so much are just all these little Star Trek things. Yeah, that, yeah remember, the, remember the, that the moment? Fan favorites in it, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, not just that. No, no, no. I don't mean that exactly. I mean that stuff's great. But I mean, okay, here's 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 a good example of the kind of thing I'm talking about. That little, very short little scene between Spock and Bones. Uh, after uh, get him off the ship, after Kirk's off the ship, and it's the scene when uh, I think Spock is thanking Bones basically for sure. going yeah. along with him and with getting rid of Kirk or something. But you know, Bones is like, you could at least act like it was a hard decision. That that little God, I don't know, 30, 45 seconds between the two of them. I mean, that is that is Star Trek. That feel felt like something out of the original series. It was such a such a perfect understanding of their relationship and to give them that time to write it and to shoot it and keep it keep it in the movie uh the people who wrote the movie kind of got star trek and the people that really made the movie got star trek because they shot it and they kept it in they knew it was important and that's not really narratively significant and they don't do much else with spock and bones relationship in this movie not really so that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about where I where I think that it holds up with repeated viewings for me because it they it's it's Star Trek. You know, it feels like Star Trek stuff like that. 
Well, yeah, you were talking about Carl Urban, you know, even that first scene when he's when him and Kurt meet, that felt like um, DeForest Kelly, you know, it, it, I'm, and it's not that Urban was, you know, trying to impersonate Kelly, but it felt like the spirit of the character. He's, you know, he's kind of bitching and complaining. My wife left me. She let, you know, we got the whole Bones nickname. So, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. There's those little, those, those little, you know, quick scenes where you get the, the yeah. essence of, of the character, the original characters that played these roles. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of is indicative of, like you said, someone who just watches the show and then gets some of the main uh, relationships and themes and whatnot and knows what's important. Because, you know, if someone just watched like the whole original series and maybe the original movies or whatever, they any number of people may take different elements of that. But, you know, to recognize the core relationships and what's the com- what the common themes and knowing that we have to touch on this and this and this and this, at least at some point to kind of distill it for this feature. That's, that's impressive, you know, from the perspective of if, if you didn't have a background where you've watched all of these shows like a zillion times or whatever, you know, so that's cool. The two scenes I have left that I want to mention. uh, I really like the, I think Adam, you were starting to talk about it a little bit too, but the 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 Pike scene with Kirk in the bar where he recruits Kirk, I think that scene is really really well written. It has what I think is the probably my favorite line of the movie: "Your father was captain of a starship for twelve minutes. He saved eight hundred lives, including yours and your mother's. I dare you to do better." I mean, that's that's like when they were writing it, they okay, this is gonna be in the trailer, <laughs> and it was. But that scene is great, and Bruce Greenwood, you know, that's the kind of stuff he can serve on a platter he's really does great with it so i really like that scene a lot and then the uh mining platform kind of action sequence that might be my favorite i don't know action thing in the movie which it's got some the movie has some tremendous special effects stuff you know just like the all the space battles and things i mean they're really really great but i love that mining that mining sequence uh it's 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 really excellent all right what is this movie about um this movie is in a lot of ways for me it's about coming of age you know you start off with the two main characters kirk and spock and um they you know they they touch on you know their childhoods um you know they're not really parallel i mean they're both incredibly intelligent and, and gifted young children that's brought out but you get to see like their their challenges you know spock dealing with the you know and these are themes for at least for Spock that we've seen throughout, you know, the challenges of being half human, half Vulcan, dealing with your emotions. You know, I think this is the kind of the, one of the few times that we've gotten to see the prejudice that he faced on Vulcan and, um, you know, those challenges that he faced. And for Kirk, this is, you know, this was something new, you know, his growing up without a father, but maybe not a very nice stepfather, um, a lot of the anger issues and, um, you know, them coming together and in Starfleet and having that rocky relationship and, and just coming into their own on who they're supposed to be. And, you know, you see those notes with, um, with Leonard Nimoy as Spock, you know, um, I, you two have to do this because, you know, your relationship will have, an, you know, his line was the relationship will have a pr- profound effect on both of you. And it's that coming of age and all the other characters that are, are that are in there, they kind of come, come of age together as well. But I mean, you know, those are the two main focuses. There's Kirk and Spock um, in this film. And that's kind of basically kind of how I felt where the movie was going. I mean, 
obviously, you know, there's a lot of action. It's a lot of, it's a fun ride. Um, but I, I kind of think that's what they were trying to go with, what they were trying to say. Yeah. I think what's interesting here is that I agree with what you said. I think it's, it's this notion of, um, reaching one's best destiny. You know, the, the, what is your, what is your, the, the most important thing that you can do? What can you achieve and getting there? And what's interesting is that there's, there's different paths for Kirk and Spock. They're familiar, they're a little different. And what the extra bonus is for hardcore Trek fans is that there's also this element of, um, you know, the important things work out in the end, you know, you know, the big things come together and the relationships establish, even if they come about in different ways, you know, we're, we know how all this came together roughly in the prime universe in a different timeline in a different way. And then they, these people still met and still became friends and still serve on the ship in this universe. And that, that's, there's a different lesson there that kind of enhances the overall theme. If, if you know and love the whole franchise. So uh, for me, that's kind of what it's about. And I, I kind of wanted to m- mention this. I mentioned this earlier in the show. Um, so I, like I said, I really enjoyed this movie. I, and when I left it, I really enjoyed it. And um, unfortunately, I think loving this movie so much kind of helped me not like um, Into Darkness as much. Because like what I was saying in the, early on, you know, with JJ and the whole production, production team making this film and making these bold choices with these characters and these storylines that everybody loves so much. I, I just kind of felt like uh, they, okay, they must have a plan. This isn't a one-off movie. Like that's why another reason why I was excited. This isn't really a one-off movie that they were doing what we'd kind of seen with the last couple um, films with, with next gen. Um, it felt like they were going to build upon something and, you know, going into, um, into darkness and, Basically, being you know a, a remake of Wrath of Khan was not the was not at all the direction I thought they were going, and um, that's that's when I ca- I came out of um, Into Darkness very disappointed. Um, but uh, what I ca- will say is that um, right now you know is a good time for Trek. Um, I just finished watching Picard. I watched Lower Decks, and it's it's heartening to see that they're kind of starting to fill in some of these gaps that that we've that we've seen that were brought up with this film. You know, Romulus exploding and that kind of thing. So I think the future is bright. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with this Kelvin timeline. I know that, you know, at one point they were going to bring um, Chris back, um, Hemsworth. And I thought maybe there, there might be some somewhere, you know, where you can maybe not bring this crew back into the, the normal timeline, but just kind of have a connection to the two timelines. So anyway, those are my final thoughts. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I've ever, like... <sighs> soured on a movie so much over time as I have into darkness. <laughs> Cause I think I, it'd be interesting to me to go back and listen to the podcast we did right after into darkness came out because I, I feel like I was solid with it and overall maybe even, maybe even positive. And then just very quickly, like each time I would watch it, I was, it was very drastic. I still enjoy it because it, I feel like it has the highest production value that we're ever going to see in our lifetimes for any Star Trek. Like it was like the peak. So that there's an element of that that makes it fun in a way. But I have so many problems with it that just seem to increase every time that I, I'm not sure I've ever soured on something the way I have on that on that movie. You still um, you, you like Beyond? I I, I enjoyed. Star yeah, Trek I think Beyond, Beyond is fun. I think it's yeah, fun. It's a- I, I have problems with Beyond. Of, of the three, this is the only one that I think is probably a, a great movie. And oh, yeah, I have I problems with this movie. 
Mm-hmm. It's not like the best Star Trek movie, but I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty great. I really do. I understand why other people would have a hard time with it, but I feel like their their problems with it are similar to mine. They just uh, they take those same issues and then you know they're like they bother them a lot more. But for me, it like I said, it, I it, the term that comes to mind is like brute forces. It just it says it's so great in so many other ways that it just pushes past those issues, and it's still a blast to watch this movie. Do you think we'll see? Um... I think we'll see these characters in the film, or these actors playing these roles. I don't know. Maybe not it's, all of them together, but I mean, it's. So. I don't know. Maybe I'll give it like a forty-five percent chance of happening, or something. Who knows? Right. All right. Let's do six degrees for Star Trek two thousand nine. Adam. Yes. Greg Ellis plays Chief Engineer Olson, the red shirt that doesn't last long. In DS 9s series finale, he played the Cardassian Ekor. Name the episode. DS9's last season? The the series finale. Series finale. Um, frick. <sighs> I'm take me running through the DS9 episodes that I know from that season. I have no idea. I'm not going to waste people's time any longer. Take it, Steve. Uh, what you leave behind? Yes. Steve, the Iowa police officer that asks for young Jim Kirk's name was voiced by... Blank. Oh, the grief. He was not played by this person, but this person provided the voice. Huh. This uh, is a you know it or you don't. Uh, okay. Um, Citizen, what is your name? That guy. Take your time, not Steve. I don't know it. I don't know it either. <laughs> it's kind of not fair because it doesn't actually sound very much like him. Again, you just have to know yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's one of those articles you have to read random things. Oh, this person. Yep, exactly. It was J.J. Abrams. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> All right. So, I said that's like Bond playing a stormtrooper, right? Or Daniel yeah. Craig. Force Wiggins. So we did it. Uh, we have now covered all of the movies because we did Into Darkness and Beyond when they came out as a part of our podcast. And we have covered all of the TV series episodes that existed when we started our podcast. So, yeah, that's exciting. Let's see. We're going to release this episode the week of the U.S. presidential election. So I'll say... Wow, wasn't it amazing that beep won the election? Because <laughs> we, yeah, we're recording this before that day. So, yeah. And we are going to take basically a month off. We're going to be back the first week of December to do our holiday episode, which is mostly, but not entirely, going to be an interview we did earlier in the year with the Pensky podcast. So, please know when something doesn't show up in your feed in a couple of weeks it's because we're it was on purpose we're just going to take a little extra time we're going to be back instead of two weeks we'll be back in four weeks with our holiday episode and then we're probably going to take another four weeks off of that and then we're going to we're going to begin to star trek discovery in january of 2021 so uh let's see was there any news the only news this week they did officially start shooting discovery season four this week that was exciting mm-hmm. But I guess that was it, news-wise. But I told you guys, I, I enjoyed um, Lower Decks. Did you guys like it or no? Or? Yeah. 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 yeah I, I thought it was fun. I thought it got better as it went, too. Sure. And, uh, it kind of took, it also kind of took some time to get accustomed to it. You have to get 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I did. All right. So you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. We're going to be back in four weeks. And thank you so much for spending an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. Stefan, I passed it.